podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so we're back after game week four and we're in the dog days of the international break. A few wild cards have been spotted, but most of the FPL has settled down for a snooze fest. As our favourite league goes on hiatus, so players can go away and play in relevant competitions to make money for FIFA. I'm joined today by Nick. How you doing, mate? Yeah, not bad. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, international break can always drag on a little bit. So I'm already looking forward to the return of FPL in the Premier League. Um, just to say quickly who we are, we are Who Got The Assist. You can find us online at whogottheassist.com. You can follow us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL. And you Spotify, SoundCloud or however you'd like to listen and subscribe for the season. So uh, what are we talking about today, Tom? Uh, so on today's pod, we're going uh, top six specific uh, with an in-depth kind of feature pod look at how the Champions League and the Europa League may impact the top six teams, teams which comprise our top point scorers in FPL, such as Kane, such as Solara, such as Hazard. We'll have a look at each of these teams in depth and how this may impact our plans going forward. Uh, we'll then move on to our regular features and move on to the questions at the very end. And thanks for those questions today. Sounds great, Tom. Shall we start and crack on with the game week reviews then? So so how did you get on this game week, Tom? Um, all right. It was 46. It was a tiny green arrow, at least. After getting points from Aubameyang at the fourth attempt, um, that kind of covered not owning Pedro or Mane, but... It was a very close shave, really. I mean, it, it wasn't great because at the end of the day, if he hadn't done anything, that would have been quite a big red arrow. As it was, it was a very small green. I'm still recovering from that 40-point kind of loss um, in game week two for not owning Aguero. And a couple of new headaches have emerged in uh, Mkhitaryan and Walcott from uh, being fairly kind of settled after my wild card. Now I'm kind of looking at both of them thinking, oh, could I move them on? Could I do something with it? But yeah, 46 and the team's looking all right. Hopefully I'll be able to roll my transfer and then maybe do something else after that because it's always weird after international break isn't it what about you nick how have you got into the break yeah i mean the gang scored 48 for me this game week which is above average um and was a green arrow which i was a bit surprised about to be honest i was actually all out of players saturday evening so i was just like i'm not even going to log on saturday night and look at the rank because i knew that it would just come falling down on the sunday but yeah still somehow managed that green arrow um, you know, I had Aguero captain like most people. He didn't get any goals against Newcastle, which was a little bit of a surprise, but managed an assist and got six points. Um, elsewhere, there's not really too much to talk about. Patricio in goal got me um, a nice clean sheet with seven points, which is a nice little differential there. And then um, the defence, um, the, the triads, as we all have in defence, Alonso, Robertson, Mendy all got assists. Alonso got me nine points. Midfield was a complete write-off. My midfield's generally been shocking all season with uh, two points and one points uh, across the board there. Ooh, that's not very good, is it? Uh, it's only been Solara, I think, who scored any points for you, isn't it? Above uh, above the assist for Jota game week one, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. So Salah's been my own midfielder to score me points really above five all season, which is uh, pretty terrible, actually. Yeah, I think I definitely need to need to sort out. I think every midfielder I bring in is cursed at the moment, whether it's Richardson or, or Walcott or David Silva. So, uh, yeah, not going too well. Um, in midfield but otherwise the defence has kind of been keeping my rank into the uh, into six figures at least at this moment in time yeah that left back troika uh, doing doing work for us uh, fpl managers at the moment aren't they right uh, let's talk about our topic then it's quite a hefty one this week 
And we're looking at the top six. We're doing this just because there were 31,438 points scored last year. Uh, of them, 38%, 11,909 points in it were scored by the top six. Interestingly, actually, this season, there have been 3,247 points scored and 1,216 of them have been scored by the top six, which is 37%. So uh, it's, it's spooky how quickly these kind of things get into shape, isn't it? Oh, just 1% off what happened last year. But that all kind of means that it's definitely worth looking at the top six um, who are Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, Man United and Spurs. And looking at how the UCL and the UEL fixtures will impact them because these guys tend to be the bulk of our budget and also our kind of top point scorers. It's just an interesting point actually that Mo Salah scored 17% of his team points last season and 1% of all FPL points himself last year. A uh, big shout out to Ben Credlin in particular. The calendar that he runs that helps us out with some bits of info here in terms of the fixtures. So shall we start off Liverpool then, Nick? And uh, it's it's kind of well documented, isn't it, that their next four Premier League games are a little bit dicey. They've got Tottenham, Southampton, Chelsea and Man City with game weeks five and six and seven and eight interspersed by Champions League fixtures. They've got PSG and Napoli as their opponents in between those kinds of games. It's only kind of Southampton in game week six, which is a bit of an oasis for them in terms of a, a good fixture. Something else with Liverpool is that after these kind of initial poor fixtures get out of the way, between game weeks 9 and 10, they've got Huddersfield and Cardiff. And then between 12 and 16, they've got a really good run, which takes in Fulham, Watford, Everton, Burnley and Bournemouth. The key man with Liverpool, of course, is Mo Salah, isn't it, Nick? I mean, what are your views on Mo Salah at the moment? I know you're kind of looking at the wild card and thinking about him as an asset. I've got some stats uh, to back up my kind of view, but what's your thoughts on Salah before we go into that? Yeah, I have been experimenting with wildcard teams where Salah um, doesn't feature. I set a decent one up where I was even managing to to fit in Harry Kane and still um, and still have a really strong setup uh, with no Salah. Actually, of course, but I, I do think that you know going without. I don't know whether I've, I've got the balls to actually go ahead and, and wildcard without Salah. To be honest, I mean. I know the numbers. He, he's, he's made 19 goal attempts, which is more than any other midfielder. Obviously, his stats from last season were immense, and we've talked about them on many, many a pod. Uh, but I was just wondering whether perhaps, um, you know, you could cover Salah with Mane. Um, obviously, Mane's started the season really well. Joint top scorer with Mitrovic with four goals. He's only 9.8. So if you went for Salah, um, sorry, if you went for Mane and didn't have Salah, you would have an extra three point two million pounds, which can go quite far in terms of bolstering your midfield, your other midfield options, bolstering your uh, attack, and you know bolstering your defence as well. So, I did think, oh, could you could you cover Salah uh, with just Mane, especially with these fixtures um, coming up? Like you said, the only real decent one is the Southampton at home in the next four. Those three really tough fixtures, there is the risk that he is going to be rotated with the likes of Shakiri, and, and we saw it at the weekend where he was one of the first to be substituted and um, you know didn't complete the 90 minutes and we might see more of that over the next few game weeks. Yeah, I, don't, I think that he may not see 90 minutes, but I think that like the idea that he's going to be rotated in the big fixtures is jumping the gun, to say the least. Um, I think that most likely he is going to be playing those big games. And to be honest, I look at his kind of performance last year in these sorts of fixtures, and, and it's pretty good. So last year versus Spurs, he got a brace in a 2-2 draw and a consolation in the 4-1 loss away. Versus City, he got a goal and assist at home in the 4-3 win, and he also rested in the Champions League. Versus Chelsea, he got a goal at home. Uh, versus Arsenal, he got two goals and one assist. So against the big teams, 
he scored six of his first two goals, which is 19% of all of his goals last season, two of his 12 assists, so 17% of all of his assists. So in 16% of the games last season, he scored 19% of his attacking output. So on that basis, I think there's a good chance he's going to get returns in those games. I don't think he's going to be rested. The Saints, for example, is followed by the League Cup. Salah is also top for chances created as well. So it's pretty crazy at the moment looking at the stats and comparing him to Mane, as you just mentioned. On a lot of things, expected goal involvement, for example, Mo's got 3.68, a goal uh, expects to be involved in the goal every 91 minutes. With Mane, it's every, one every 142 minutes, and he's massively over-indexing at the moment. He's got 40% conversion rate, Mane. Uh, Adam Hopcroft reported that Vardy in uh, last year was top with 28%, so he's going to regress a little bit. Like Mo, he's missed four big chances already. He's had five and he's only scored one. For example, the biggie against Leicester. So there's quite a lot kind of going in in Mo's favourite moment stats-wise. And I'm, I'm a little bit reluctant to get rid of him. Like James Eggersdorf said on Twitter the other week that he didn't remove Salah because he kind of thought that was a season-changing decision to do it on his wildcard. So he doesn't think he's got enough information at the moment to do so. Do you really think that like Mane would be able to cover Salah, especially with like, those kind of stats and the way the pendulum looks like it might be swinging? I think it is dangerous, obviously. It would be a very risky strategy. Like I said, it's probably one that I, I'm not going to go ahead with. But it's just, I think it, I think it's tough. Obviously, Salah's numbers are better than any other midfielder. He's also had 34 touches in the penalty box, which is more than any other midfielder. It's eight more than Raheem Sterling, who's second with 26. Um, you know, the stats are obviously in, in Salah's favour. Uh, and you would expect him to continue to score big. But obviously, he is also missing big chances. He's obviously slightly inaccurate when it comes to his final ball. And that does impact the amount of bonus points he gets as well. So, you know, we haven't seen that huge haul from him yet this season. Whether you can get away without having him in his team, I think possibly you can. Possibly you can cover him with the likes of Mane or even Firmino um, if you went for a Liverpool forward who are both cheaper than him. It, like I said, it is a risky strategy, but we saw at the end of last season, a few people went Mo Salah. I think the likes of Az from um, FFS went without Salah and it paid off. And it could easily pay off again if you if you took a risk and, and went without him. But if you de- if he then does score big, you're having to take big hits potentially to get him back in because of his cost. So there is that risk involved in, in going without him. Yeah, exactly. And personally, I've got to say, this isn't a concern for me, really. I'm going to have to hold on because I didn't have a wild card to carry out the required surgery if I took him out. And I've got to kind of make a lot of moves to readjust back to having a Mo Salah team. Without the wild card, that's really hard to do. But if you do have a wild card as insurance and you do think that you can spread that value around a little bit better... I can kind of understand that. I mean, there's a value for money argument that's being mooted at the moment. But I think value for money is a bit of a longer term metric. Like it's kind of like something over 10 weeks, you can tell uh, what's good value for money. At the moment, I don't think there's quite enough on the table, especially with like Salah's expected returns and the returns he's actually got not quite matching up. Yeah, so he's got two goals and two assists so far. So it's not like he hasn't returned. It's just that he needs to return commensurate to that kind of value. Uh, but the ownership, I think, is just another line under his name. And, uh, you know, the twin factors of the stats and the ownership of the player just make me think, well, for the moment, I'm going to err on the side of caution. They're on keeping him in my team. And if kind of more over time emerges that shows me, yeah, Mane can keep it up, which is probably not going to happen, then maybe they'll be more there. Elsewhere for Liverpool than Nick, we've both got Robertson as part of our triumvirate of left-backs. Robbo's pretty amazing, actually. I look at his kind of stats so far. He's level with Holobas for chances greater with nine. He's made 26 crosses, just one less than Mendy. And uh, 
he's third amongst total BPS uh, amongst defenders behind Mendy and Alonso, and he's top for baseline bonus and top for key passes amongst defenders with nine. Interestingly, my initial choice, Virgil van Dijk, has had no attempts at goal so far this season, and uh, TAA has uh, has hit the woodwork a couple of times, but also been yellow carded a fair bit. There's an interesting theory actually on van Dijk, by the way, before we go on to talk about Robertson, that he's being used to create spaces at set pieces, which I quite liked actually when I was watching the Leicester game. That could be what's going on with van Dijk, uh, but with Robertson, I think, it, despite the fact that we, we may see some rotation coming up with those kind of difficult fi- with those fixtures, I think that he is pretty integral to that Liverpool team at the moment. So again, I can't really see him being rotated too much because that maybe would seem a bit of a risk, right? Yeah, I don't think he's going to be rotated too much. Um, I don't think the likes of Alberto Marino are going. Oh, you're going to see much of him. I mean, he might he might <laughs> appear in that um, EFL fixture they've got sandwiched. Um, that they've got sandwiched in between the um, Southampton and the Chelsea game. Um, that will probably be Robertson's chance for a rest. So I, I think with Robertson, he seems nailed on. He's going to play every game, especially in these big games coming up, like he mentioned. He's, he's going to be essential for um, for Liverpool. And yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely someone who's staying in my team. I'm certainly not looking uh, to get rid of him, considering the uh, the brilliant performances he's, he's made so far. I mean, he's returned pretty much either a clean sheet or an assist in every single game so far. So yeah, very happy with him in my team. Yeah, and he's got the bonus as well, hasn't he? Uh, the final thing to mention, you mentioned a minute ago, is to keep an eye on Firmino. Um, he got his goal and he's still 9.5. And I think he could prove vital with Liverpool with only Sturridge as the alternative. We know he's the key to Klopp's system. And after a slow start, um, he's in the top five for shots with uh, for strikers now after the last couple of games. And uh, he uh, he got, you know, 15 goals and eight assists last season. At the moment, he's level for attempts frequency with Mitrovic, who many people are pointing out as a bit of a shot merchant. So, yeah, uh, not too bad at all and one to keep an eye on but I think with Liverpool at the moment despite those kind of the, the early term fixture congestion I think that kind of the later fixtures after we get through those are, are good enough to mean that keeping hold of Mo is a good idea keeping hold of Robbo is probably a good idea like if you go without Salah as a calculated risk and I can see why you're doing it I'm not going to do it because I don't have a wild card uh, but I guess Nick do you think it is one of those things that you can only really do if you've got that wild card kind of insurance safety net policy yeah, I think so. I mean, you could potentially sell him if you don't have your wild card and and then take a hit and, and reinvest elsewhere. But you're still going to be in the same situation as the rest of them. If, if suddenly he scores big, you, you're just going to want to bring him in and you're going to then have to potentially take even more hits. And especially once they get past this horrible fixture run, they're going to have a, a good run. Like you mentioned, they've got Huddersfield and then Cardiff. And if you don't have Salah in your team, you're going you're gonna to regret it most likely. So uh, um, it's, I don't think it's a gamble that I'm willing to take even though I'm chasing a little bit at this point in the season. Okay, let's move on then to uh, to Man City Nick. I believe you've been having a look at the uh, the citizens. Yeah, they're sort of halfway through their sort of dream run of fixtures, um, playing the sort of the three promoted teams from this season and the three promoted from the season before. And it is I mean it's gone all right so far. Um but they've got Fulham up next before their Champions League game um, where they're playing uh, where they're playing Leon, and then they've got uh, Cardiff uh, before it's the uh, the cup, the League Cup, and then they've got Brighton at home. So, yeah, it's a decent run for them. I think starting at the back, if we look at Edison, then your man Tom, he's he's managed only the the one clean sheet so far with uh, City just developing this annoying trend of conceding once per game. But I think 
what's interesting about him is despite all the plaudits in regards to his distribution, he's only actually managed five saves, which is the fewest of all goalkeepers so oh. far in the Premier League um, who uh, played every game. And I guess this is... Um, you can spit it the other way and say it's a testament to the city defence that their opponents aren't making, aren't creating too many chances against them. So you you have to hope that that clean sheet is on its way, and in those next three games, surely they're going to manage at least a couple. Oh yeah, exactly. Like on on Edison, it's really annoying. Actually, as you said, they've got that very unlucky. I remember when I owned Otamendi, I bought before I brought him in, it was keeping clean sheets every week, and then when I got him in, they just started conceding that one goal. Uh, you know, they do have that tendency, don't they, to concede one chance to a random player, like Yedlin or something, who scores. Their joint second for the least big chances conceded of just four. And as you mentioned, our bottom for shots conceded, which is just testament to their possession. But I'm still thinking of Edison that it's worth moving him on eventually to a 4.5 after this dream run of fixtures, of course. Um, just because at least the 4.5 goalkeepers offer you some consolation. You know, like Fab- Fabianski saves if a clean sheet isn't maintained. Uh, he's top for saves again, by the way. Uh, or like Patricio, for example, at least offers me the potential for a clean sheet with some saves. Uh, and if, if I don't get any a clean sheet, at least I'm going to get saves. With Edison, it's two points or six. And it's a very harsh binary if Man City are letting in that, that one annoying goal. Uh, every time yeah definitely you just end up with that two-pointer which which isn't ideal whilst with the likes of Fabianski you can concede four goals and still somehow get four or five points which is quite ridiculous but yeah I think um with Edison obviously you've got to keep him for the next three fixtures if you if you own him but I wouldn't necessarily recommend bringing him in, in at this at this moment in time. I think when it comes to the defence, there's, there's one man that everyone's been talking about. Obviously, that's Benjamin Mendy, um, who's managed um, he's 27 crosses so far and um, created seven chances. Um, well, I had a quick look, actually, at his data. I think um, last season, the player that made most crosses was Holobas with 210. And if, if Mendy continued this rate of return, he would um, smash this record and total 256 crosses and create 66 chances, which only eight midfielders managed um, more of last season. So I think Mendy... Uh, Mendy is, has been really performing well. He's he's definitely someone that we're seeing in a lot of teams on Twitter. He's uh, he's key, he's key in defence, and I think he's he's the main man to own. Obviously, Kyle Walker scored last week, but he also got rotated, so he didn't play one of the games um, in central defence. It it seems to be a little bit up in the air as to who's sort of first choice in that defence. Um, the ports seems like a popular pick at the moment, but company um, could easily take over, start playing more fixtures. And with the Champions League, we might see more rotation. I think that's that's the issue with Pep. I think he's probably the hardest manager to predict in the entire league. Um, Would you agree with that statement, Tom? Yeah, I think Pep Brillette is going to claim many more victims before the season's out. And as you said, you know, City do have some fairly uh, their uh, good fixtures interspersed with uh, Champions League fixtures. I mean, they are in a group with Leon, Hoffenheim, and Shakhtar, which you'd expect is going to be the easier group of the lot. But nevertheless, it's going to be hard to predict. You know, I remember last season Raheem Sterling; he was taken off after sixty minutes in the Champions League in the midweek, and we all thought, yeah, you know, he's guaranteed to play on Saturday, and he didn't show up at all. Um, so, so you know, you, you can just never tell with Pep. But um, those Champions League games aren't as onerous as the ones, for example, Spurs, who we'll speak about later face. So, I think that with City, um, 
it's still going to be as clear as mud, basically, who we're going to be, who we're going to, who's going to be playing week to week, and we're going to see rotation probably even with Mendy, even with uh, even with uh, Kuniguera up top. So it's very difficult to tell um, exactly what's going to happen. That's why I've got Edison, Mendy, and Kun as kind of the three that, I've, uh, that seem the most secure, I guess. Yeah, I think with Mendy it's tough because you look at who could also play in that position. The likes of Danilo really are out completely out of favour with Pep. Um, Delph um, sort of played the role only because he had to last season, but he's not going to compete with Benjamin Mendy in terms of performance. So Mendy is definitely the first choice in that position, but he may be rested at some point. Um, going forward into midfield, there's obviously a sort of KDB-shaped hole in the team at the moment. And uh, the one man that I, I have in my team that's sort of working to fill this hole is David Silva. He's uh, created 13 chances so far, which is actually the joint highest for midfielders alongside um, Mo Salah, and that's actually despite only playing three of the four games so far. Um, he's um, he's very reasonably affordable as well at 8.5 million. And he's also actually the joint highest for goal attempts out of all the Manchester City midfielders uh, with eight goal attempts so far alongside Raheem Sterling. So David Silva seems to be playing quite a key role in that midfield. It was talked about uh, pre-season that his minutes were going to be managed a lot more uh, by Pep and then that, that put a lot of people off him. But I don't think his minutes are going to be managed as much as they were with the KDB injury and he, he's pretty crucial to that team. Yeah, exactly. And it looks like it'd be kind of game week 12, game week 13 when Kevin De Bruyne has come back. David Silva's the kind of creator-in-chief with those kinds of stats that you've mentioned, which are obviously very, very scary for non-owners. I'm certainly worried about David Silva. And the Newcastle goalkeeper Dubrovka like, pulled off a miracle to stop him returning points for you in the last game. I was very, very worried about that for a second, but what a save that was. And uh, yeah, like he's, he's looking like he's due for points soon and due for a big rush of owners soon. Well, yeah, you have to hope that my sort of gamble on him pays off. Um, previously, I owned Riyad Mahrez, but Mahrez's minutes seem to be quite heavily managed. So um, not many people are sort of owning him at the moment. And I don't think um, unless he scores big in the next game or two, he's still going to probably remain on the periphery of uh, people's squads. Um, Sterling is um, he's he's the other joint highest for goal attempts in midfield alongside David Silva, like I mentioned with eight, but he's um, a lot more expensive with eleven at eleven point zero. Though um, with two goals now um, to his name, he, he seems to be proving a differential to his two point seven percent ownership. He also has a, a back quote unquote injury, but um, I feel like that definitely feels like one of those international break injuries just to get out of England duty. So uh, whether he's fit for uh, the next game week, fit fit and fresh for the home match against Fulham. We'll have to see. Yeah, the All-England team will be hoping that's the case. I guess up front, Kun Aguero and a few bits for me on Kun, basically. He's top for attempts, isn't he? 20. Although actually, Jesus had more big chances than him. Uh, five big chances to Kun's three, and he's he's in the top three of shots in the box. Interestingly, Callum Wilson has the most big chances with seven and the most attempts in the box of any striker with 14. However, a really, really good stat, uh, which is pulled out by Ed on our Slack, is that he's missed six of his seven big chances, Callum Wilson. So even if he had a little bit of average finishing, he'd be you know, far and away the number one striker in the Premier League and really should have scored against Chelsea this weekend. Um, but yeah, no, uh, Kuniguero, I think, is a mainstay in many, many, many a squad and he's over 50% owned now. Um, we spoke about ownership last week, uh, which some people didn't quite like. But uh, I think with 50% ownership, with the explosive potential with those fixtures, he's got to be kind of a stick on in, in any squad that's there, including mine. That's why I wildcard these game in. 
Yeah, definitely. And um, what's interesting about Aguero is um, there was a lot of talk, like you mentioned, with, always with Manchester City about rotation. But out of the four first games of the season, he's managed 335 minutes of the 360. So he's only missed 25 minutes of football. Meanwhile, Jesus, who, who's the person that people thought he'd be rotated with, has managed 187 minutes. So they're playing a lot of time together. Um, so we're not really seeing it's a case of Aguero or Jesus a lot of the time, Pep is willing to try both of them and play both of them. So we're not really seeing a case of Aguero missing a lot of games because of Jesus. And as you can see by the minutes played, Aguero remains the number one choice, whilst Jesus is more of a rotation option who Pep throw in here and there. So Jesus doesn't really, isn't really an FPL pick at the moment, but Aguero, with his, with his performance against Huddersfield, we have to hope that we're going to see another one in the next few game weeks. Um, and yeah, people will be sticking with him, even though he only managed um, a six-pointer against um, his favourite Newcastle. Yeah, exactly. Right, final word then on these two teams, Nick. I think they're kind of the clock, the red, the red roulette, and the uh, and the pep roulette are two things that will definitely kind of start to impact us. We'll definitely start to see Shakiri in starting lineups. We'll definitely start to see you know Sturridge playing for Firmino or some sort of mix up, and Firmino's back on the wing or something like that. Um, but I guess you know what are you doing kind of in summary with these two teams in terms of the the medium term uh, with the UCL kicking in and the other fixtures surrounding that? Well, I think with Manchester City, I am tripled up. I will remain tripled up for those next three fixtures, um, even though there are, as you said, a couple of UCL matches um, coming up and the fixtures are starting to get a little bit more congested. I still think with um, my selections for Manchester City, I am happy that they'll get enough minutes to they'll make it worth my while for those uh, three tasty fixtures. With Liverpool, um, you know, the fixtures are tougher, like we've mentioned. They've got Spurs, they've got Chelsea, they've also got Manchester City in game week eight, and they've got um, slightly tougher um, UCL matches um, against Napoli and Red Star Belgrade uh, for the first couple. But I think I think um, I'll probably go to wildcard very soon, but I am going to stick with Salah just because, you know, it's, it's because of his potential and his... Uh, and the risk of going without is is too much for me. And um, with Robertson, he, he's done so well so far. Liverpool managed three clean sheets out of four. Should have been four if it wasn't for a howler by Allison. I don't know what he was doing. And uh, and I can see them getting another clean sheet against Southampton. They may even manage one against one of the big teams. So I think I'm going to stick with Robertson as well in defence. Yeah, exactly. I think I'm completely aligned with you. Unsurprisingly, these players are going to keep cultivating mass in my team. And uh, yeah, I, I think for now, until we get more information, I'm completely happy to stick with the players that I've got. Um, yeah, I think you know Edison is uh, earmarked to be a bit of a cash cow for me and come down to 4.5. And you know, I'll watch and wait. But for now, I think it's just worth owning those two members of the Holy Trinity, uh, whilst also owning Cuneguero and Mo Salah. Okay, let's take a break there, Nick, and then we'll move on to United and Spurs. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? We're back, and it's uh, time to talk about Man United then, Nick. And uh, a bit of a resurgence this weekend, a 2-0 victory at Burnley and a a brace for the forgotten man of FPL, who you actually mentioned last pod, Romelu Lukaku, appears to be garnering at least some interest now. He and Man United have got a great next four. They've got Watford Wolves, uh, West Ham and Newcastle. And they've got OK Champions League fixtures as well. They've got Young Boys first uh, between five and six and Valencia uh, between seven and eight. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Juventus um, come only uh, come to town between uh, game weeks nine and ten uh, when, when their fixtures stiffen a little bit, when, when they have Chelsea and Everton. 
But at the end of the day, um, I think Manchester United are a little bit overlooked just because of the poor starts of the season. Obviously, all the ruminations around Mourinho, who now is nice guy, Mourinho. In terms of Man United assets and Nick, I think there's kind of two that appear to have kind of come to the fore. I've just mentioned one, Lukaku. He's now second for attempts in the box and second for big chances amongst strikers of six. And the beauty of him is that he's a 90-minute man. Uh, there's very little rotation risk with him and he's going to play every game 11.0 could that be better than a misfiring or Bamiang who we'll speak about later the other one is Lingard who should see some game time now at just 6.8 he's reachable for me from Walcott he didn't start the season but he's third for shots and joint seconds for shots in the box for midfielders over the last few game weeks that's level with David Silva and Pereira. An attempt every 20 minutes, so those only created two chances. With Rashford suspended, Johnny Johnny Death, uh, one matter in the in the cold, it could be worth kind of him uh, as a kind of cheap differential off option for those kind of fixtures. Uh, it seems to perform pretty well, kind of just off Lukaku in a quite a direct role against Burnley. Um, are you looking at any of the the Man United defensive assets here, Nick? Well, I think the the one person I have looked at. No, I think it's, it's very hard to actually fit him to my team. Is is Luke Shaw? Um, I have actually well, I have PVA still at five point five, and I could easily downgrade him and and put in Luke Shaw in at five point one. He's um he's actually second for goal attempts so far out of all defenders uh, with eight goal attempts. He he scored for the first time ever um, in the Premier League um, in game week one, which excited many people and many owners. And he's played every minute so far of the Premier League, so he seems to be in in Mourinho's good books now, despite the sort of years of criticism that he's had to deal with and. Uh, critical comments he's actually been I think a lot of people describe him as uh, Manchester United's brightest spark so far this season so he's definitely someone that I'm interested in and I think at 5.1 as a way into that Manchester United defence that was uh, you know very this season's been slightly different with um, the likes of Lindelof and and Baye just being terrible Uh, but the United defence has been sort of over the last few years their best asset and to to invest in someone that 5.1 who's also can offer a little bit of attacking impetus um, I think Luke Shaw is actually a pretty decent option in terms of in terms of the midfield and attack I haven't really looked at Lukaku or Lingard but I know you are thinking about Lingard as an option yeah, I think that he could just be one of those kind of little punts, especially if Walcott is ruled out. But at the moment, that's just kind of a, a prototype idea. So I'm not sure that that'll ever happen. Like you mentioned the Man United defence. Uh, David De Gea, who I pegged at the start of the season as being a must-stone, uh, he's lost 0.1 and he's down to 22.6% owned now. Uh, the bottom four uh, for shots conceded over the last two Man United. So their defence has tightened up. But the damning statistic is nine big chances conceded so far and five in the last two games. That's more big chances conceded than the likes of Bournemouth, the likes of Watford, the likes of Cardiff, the likes of Leicester, and their vanquishers Brighton. So even though Luke Shaw may offer you know attacking returns and hopefully something defensively over the next few, if you're not looking there, I wouldn't look anywhere else for Man United's defence at the moment. It's, it's looking like a bit of a shambles, to be honest. And it's, it's looking a bit kind of difficult with United that they've kind of acquired a bit of a punt factor at the moment and it's just whether they'll be able to if you do opt for an attacking player um realize that kind of potential uh, you know it, it could just flip 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 really easily and go somewhere else with them um but you know one more goal for Lukaku or something for Lingard and suddenly they're going to be pretty highly owned with the next kind of three fixtures yeah I think I think with United there is a little bit of risk like you said Lukaku 
doesn't get rotated. So he he could be a really good punt, but he is he is very expensive, and I think that will put off a lot of people, especially um, when you're trying to fit the likes of Aguero and and Salah into your team, who who seem like must owns. Obviously, Lukaku is a is a great differential, and, and the the brace um, that he scored at the weekend uh, proves that he um, he has that attacking output. But like. Like we saw last season, he never really managed any huge hauls. I think 12 points was the highest he managed. And that was, I think he only got double figures about three or four times, perhaps five or six, you know, the entire season. And I think at 11.0 million, you, you need more for your money. Yeah, exactly. But at least, you know, he, he's outscoring Aubameyang, but it also is in the same price bracket. He's, a top, he's mm-hmm. in the top four for strikers now, Lukaku. And game week seven, he plays West Ham, which is always a game that I watch out for. He's scored more goals against them than any other club in his career. Um, but for Man United, it sounds like we're a little bit kind of, they're a little bit kind of a punty uh, in terms of what we're going to do with them. And it, it might just be one, which is, uh, um, which we're happy to watch and wait on, but not necessarily going to be rushing in on um, for now. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it's tough because, um, like we said, there's not really many assets. Neither of us have any United coverage at the moment, which is quite rare. And even when United win, like we used to, it, it's been a tradition that you would see your rank absolutely hammered after watching a Manchester United game, just because they're a very popular team and they're always very highly owned. But just this season, their ownership stats are ridiculously low. Like it's just very. I think De Gea was the only one that was over twenty percent owned, or something along those lines. And it's just that's shocking to see for Manchester United, especially considering they're such a such a popular team internationally as well. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on to your side, Spurs. Then they've got that tough fixture home against Liverpool up next, and then it uh, doesn't get much easier for them either with their Champions League fixtures because they've got Inter away and they've also got Barcelona at home um, and uh, sort of sandwiched in between. They've got um, away matches against Brighton and Huddersfield. So it'll be quite interesting to see how how Pock um, plays his team, whether he decides to play his sort of first choice 11 against the uh, Champions League teams and then rotate maybe in the league. Uh, but it depends also how they perform against Liverpool, because if they lose against Liverpool, Pock will not want to lose again against Brighton, so he could end up playing a, a full-of-strength team. And one one of the players that is at risk, I guess, of rotation would be Kieran Trippier. Um, he's a very popular pick um, in FBL, and but he's actually been, in terms of the sort of Twitter crowd, he's, he's kind of uh, been a little bit, I guess... Um, you know, let's talked about considering the the brilliant performances of of Mendy, Alonso, and Robertson. But he does deserve to have his name mentioned alongside such alumni. We know he can, he can shoot a mean free kick. We all saw that in the World Cup, and he uh, he's been outshining our um, WGTA favorite Ben Davis as well. But I think um, with Trippier, he has he's created seven chances, already got a goal and assist to his name, and seems to be the first choice against the unreliable Aurea. But just traditionally with. Um, with Pochettino, we've seen so much rotation of those fullbacks that we, unless one of them is injured, like we saw with Danny Rose last season, which made Ben Davis such a mainstay in our squads, it's, it's just almost too risky to back one of them, especially at their price of 6.0-esque million. You, you, you have, they have to play week in, week out to sort of fork out that sort of money in your defence. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Trippier's top for crosses as well. He's made 31, which is four more than Mendy, despite playing 104 less minutes. But as you say, uh, like uh, Ben Davis, a bit of a sad tale, really. We both had him game week one. Six attempts, uh, top four for chances created with six and three big chances created. Nothing for Ben Davis so far has been very unlucky. 
as you just noted, you know, Inter and Barcelona are the first two games for Spurs. And that Barcelona game is nestled between Huddersfield away and Cardiff at home, which would be times when you'd normally be targeting Spurs. But that's the sort of game when Aurier plays um, Cardiff or Aurier plays Huddersfield, so Trippier is save for the Champions League. That, that may impact midfield as well. Ali, Eriksen, uh, at, at the moment there's Lucas in the ascendancy, but it's always sunny that he's always around um, and he could always kind of come into the team. Last year, he played his way into the team. 178 points, 12 goals and 8 assists. And now exempt from military duty for South Korea as well. So, you know, he must be very happy, which could engender a very good kind of season. But the headline really with Spurs is uh, Harry Kane. Where's Harry, Nick? Where's Harry? Yeah, yeah, I think with Harry, it's it's, uh, it's not been a great start to the season for him. I mean, he's only managed 10 goal attempts so far, which is uh, less than the likes of Raul Jimenez, um, less than the likes of Ben Teke, also less than uh, Ruben Neves in midfield and Marcus Alonso. So uh, not not going too well for Mr Kane. I think in contrast, uh, last season for the first four game weeks, he, he actually managed 28 goal attempts. So he's managing a third of the goal attempts that he... Um, managed at the same time last season and that's despite him him having his sort of August hoodoo as well. So um yeah, I mean it is possible that he's fatigued from his World Cup exertions. But I guess we'll we can see how he does in, in the um international break where he looks on form, whether he continues this sort of poor run. So we'll we'll get we'll get a little bit more of an idea over the next uh, couple of weeks as to what kind of frame of mind he's in. Uh, but I was, I did think about getting him in actually on my wild card. I was thinking about wild card and just bringing Harry Kane in, kind of getting in ahead of the crowd, if that makes sense. Yeah. With that run, obviously they've got those really tough Champions League fixtures, but they are playing Brighton, Huddersfield, Cardiff, West Ham. I mean, that's that's a great run of fixtures for Harry Kane, and you would expect him to smash it. He could easily get, you could easily get eight or nine goals in those games if if he's on form. So, you know, like with with Kane. He's, he's very expensive, of course, as well, 12.5 million. So he's another one of those players that you have to take hits and tear your team apart to fit in. You can't really afford the likes of Kun, Kane and Salah all in your team. So, I mean, you you could potentially upgrade Aubameyang to Harry Kane and not do too much damage, I guess, to your team. You'd have to probably downgrade Walcott to a to 5.0, but it's it's sort of affordable, I guess. Uh, but it is, it is tough to think fit Kane in I think that's probably what a lot of people like about Lucas Moura at the moment who seems on form but like you said with with Son uh, Sonny coming back um, there is that risk of rotation with him but we saw last season Son was always a rotation he was always a rotated player he, he kind of flitted in, in and out of the team I think the place is Moura's to lose at the moment considering his um his goal goal run that he's on. But what's interesting as well about Moore is he's only actually managed six goal attempts compared to Ali's nine and Ericsson's 13. So there are indications that perhaps um, Moore is um, overachieving at the moment in comparison to his, his more expensive counterparts. But yeah, I, I do need to cover Spurs. I, I am looking about ways to get them into my team. I'm going to wait for that Liverpool fixture. Then game week six, I am definitely going to be investing in someone whether I just take a punt on Moore who is um, a rotation risk or, or I, you know, break the bank a little bit more, get the likes of Ali or even Kane into my team or perhaps a, a defender like uh, Trippier or, or, or the solid uh, Vertonian. Um, get Ben Davis back. Um, well, we saw Ben Davis didn't play the other game week. He, he surprisingly played Danny Rose against Manchester United, which kind of, you know, dents his appeal slightly. But 
like with a uh, Pep, Pock can be uh, notoriously uh, sort of unreliable in terms of trying to predict what he does. The Champions League is going to lead to some rotation in in the fullbacks at least, um, which would probably mean that I'd be looking at the midfielders and looking at Kane. If I can't fit Kane and if Alba starts to score in my in my team, then I think we'd be looking at the midfielders. I mean, you, obviously, Morris had less uh, had less attempts than the other two, but he's equal with Ali uh, for big chances with three, and he scored three goals to Ali's one. So maybe there's an uh, something to be said for Ali there currently under indexing in terms of his xg and we've also noted um in terms of the heat maps that ali's a bit more central than he was at this time last year and appears to be more behind kane um playing a shadow striker from the inside left position so we, we may see some goals um from Deli ali over that period and he could be worth you know a, you know a look uh, i was really surprised to see ericsson again um so high up in the attempts despite having a lower xg uh than Deli ali and it's, it must just be because he's taking so many long shots as he always does he's like kind of the, the rolls royce james madison kind of character isn't he and it's just uh yeah i mean i mean if one or two of them starts to fly in then we'll see some interest in that in ericsson we've seen a price drop at least yeah it makes him a little bit cheaper perhaps he's a, a decent differential as well Cool. All right. Um, so I guess the final word on these two themes then. For me, it, it kind of feels like the, the European competition may make Kane and Kaku, who are, uh, for all intents and purposes, 90-minute men, um, an option up front over the more rotation-prone kind of options that are on display at the moment. I wonder if there's some kind of truth in that. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, it's interesting at the moment because I it's it's very rare that we're in this situation where I have no Spurs and I have no United coverage. And, and with those fixtures, I feel like I am going to be punished if I continue to ignore these teams. And uh, the Champions League does sort of throw a spanner into the works. But I, I think it's just about picking the right players. Most of the options are quite expensive for both teams, but there are cheap options available. The likes of Lingard, as you mentioned, in, for United, the likes of Mora who's emerging at Spurs and uh yeah their their frontline assets are very expensive and and they're not you know I'm I'm not going to dump Kuhn at the moment for one of them but they are going to start knocking on that door soon for sure cool all right uh, let's take a break there for Nick and we'll move on to the Europa League teams Arsenal and Chelsea who got the assist who got the assist so we're back and um, we're going to now uh, cover Chelsea. We're moving on to the Europa League teams. Um, so Chelsea are obviously playing in the Europa League this season, which is uh, going to uh, make things a little bit more interesting. They're in a group with uh, Bates uh, from Belarus, uh, Pana from Greece and uh, Videoton from Hungary, which uh, sounds like a sort of PS2 game from the 90s, but... Nope, it's a real football team, apparently. <laughs> so, uh, Chelsea, and Chelsea, um, so Chelsea have a, a great fixture coming up as well. And they've got Cardiff up home first, and then they've got West Ham away um, after their first uh, Europa League game. And then they've got the, the League Cup before they then have a tougher fixture against Liverpool. Um, and then they've got Southampton after that as well. So, you know, it's it's, it's relatively decent run of fixtures as well. I think there's a few people um, that we need to talk about. First, if we start at the back, I guess the first person that comes into mind is Alonso. Um, and he's he's proved himself to be sort of critical to all our FPL teams. Surprisingly, at the start of the season, we were all ignoring him, thinking that he wasn't going to get as many minutes um, this season. He was going to be... Pl- forced to play a more defensive role um, 
being part of a back four as opposed to part of a back five and could even be rotated with Emerson. But I think um, he's, he's com- completely confounded the critics. Um, he's now managed 12 goal attempts. Like I said, that's more than Kane. Uh, we started calling him an assist Alonso because he's actually notched up five assists um, so far and has a ridiculous uh, points per game of 11 after four four games which surely can't be sustained with, with Cardiff and West Ham you know I think up next you'll be a fool not to to bring him in into your teams and uh, to not own him at this moment in time yeah he, he's also the bonus hog which is really interesting he's the top of uh, top of BPS so uh, bonus actions for defenders his baseline is quite low uh, 53 Inevitably lower than Aspilicueta, the kind of archetypal bonus hog. Um, but comparing his game with one to four this season to his game with one to four last season, he's got five more assists. He's got one less goal. Three of those are fancy assists, of course. His XGI, his expected goal involvement, is much higher. He's much more involved in the game. He's got he's had double the chances, uh, double the passes received in the opponent's half, uh, almost double the total passes made. And uh, as I mentioned, he's pushing the BPS. And it, it's a really surprising kind of turnaround for Alonso because, as you mentioned, we, we all thought that. And why would we have ever thought this, really, given what we know? Uh, but he became, we, we all kind of thought he'd be a lot more defensive somehow. And it, it's just not happened, has it? If anything, he's become more attacking and more involved in the final third. And as you mentioned, he is just a, a must-own for me. And he's kind of covering uh, Chelsea to a massive extent because there has been a bit of a movement. He he, he rose in price to 10 point, uh, ten point. 10.7 is it even has it now looking rejuvenated under Sarri isn't he and he's getting a lot of interest from FPL managers yeah I think with Hazard he's always one of those players I, I, it happens every season that I end up playing the troll toll with him that I he, he performs a couple of game weeks in a row scores big and I bring him in and then he inevitably blanks for uh, the next four game weeks and he, and he started doing that this season as well but you know, like under the new manager playing Sarri Ball, um, he seems to really be thriving um, and performing for the new manager. And Chelsea in general seem to be performing really well. I mean, Hazard's already got two goals and two assists so far. Um, the only midfielder to get a return in every single game. And that's actually despite only playing 14 minutes in the first game and 29 in the second game as he sort of recovered from the, uh, from the World Cup and um, fatigue. But um, yeah, Hazard is, is performing brilliantly at the moment. He's definitely a player that I'm, I'm thinking about now getting in. Um, despite his price of 10.7, I think he would be someone that I have to bring in when I wild card. So it won't be, um, possibly won't be this game week. But if he scores big against Cardiff, I may it, it may be enough impetus for me to be forced to, to play that wild card and, and find, um, find a way to get him in. But um, I guess the other person within that Chelsea midfield that um, a lot of people own, and uh, he's got 14.4% ownership at the moment, is Pedro. Um, Pedro's now scored three goals so far this season. He's another player that seems to be thriving under the new manager. He was he was sort of heavily rotated with Conte, never really featured in a lot of people's teams. He only actually managed to score four goals um, in total last season, so he's nearly matched that total already, despite only having played four games. Um, there's like we said, there's there's that risk of rotation with William, but Pedro definitely seems to be favoured over William. William was sort of, you know, over the summer he was sort of itching for a move, and I, I don't think the manager, the new manager, appreciated that much, and he seems to have suffered by um, the amount, you know, by featuring less in the in the team. But 
Ped, there is that risk with Pedro and for owners that he won't start. We saw that in the last game that he didn't actually start. And William was favoured and start against Bournemouth, but Pedro came off the bench and scored scored the goal. So uh, with with Chelsea being in the Europa League, we're probably going to see um, a little bit of rotation. But I, I think um, Sarri will play his best eleven in the league. Um, and then you, you're more likely to see those people that have been slightly outcasted, like William featuring Europa League. So, whilst I think Pedro is a rotation risk, there is the possibility it's likely that he'll still continue to to play in the league, and he proved um, he proved his worth despite not starting the last game by scoring when he came off the bench. Yeah, I mean, Hazard and Pedro are starting fairly similarly in terms of uh, in terms of attempts. Pedro's had eleven, Hazard's had ten, um, and uh, Pedro's had two big chances, and he's taken more shots in the box. Um, but Hazard taking uh, shots at a greater frequency than Pedro. Uh, what Hazard does have as well is uh, ten chances created, which is third um, behind, as you mentioned, David Silva and also Mo Salah. Um, so you know, there's, there's always something there of Eden Hazard. Like for me, he's still on cooldown after last year's trolling. I'm still a bit annoyed with him, and I still can't quite wedge him because it means I'll have to lose or Bamiang and or lose last to make it work. But I can see why people are doing that. I guess the final seems to talk about is my team, Arsenal, Nick. Uh, an interesting one. Again, we, we're on a good run at the moment. Uh, a good run continues until game week 14, really. Um, it's only uh, game week 11 against Liverpool, uh, which was a 3-3 last season at the Emirates. So there's definitely goals in that game. Uh, we've got Newcastle, Everton, Watford, Fulham, Leicester, Crystal Palace, Liverpool, Wolves and Bournemouth. What makes it complicated is that we've got an interesting Europa League group with a few exotic names, including one team I'd, I'd actually not heard of before, which is pretty rare, actually. But they are Vorskla, who are from the Ukraine. Uh, luckily, we've got them home first. So we're not, we haven't got really... Uh, that's between game weeks five and six. So it's not really much of a long trip. Uh, but the one to keep an eye out for is the trip to Quarabag in the... Uh, Azerbaijan that happens uh, between Watford and Fulham and yeah that, that's an interesting one because it could mean if there are a lot of te- a lot of players going for that kind of long journey um some things could happen and we could see you know if Lacazette starts in the in in, in Azerbaijan um that uh, Aubameyang's nailed on to play in the league or something like that I, I just don't know how seriously Emery the uh the serial Europa League winner um, is going to take the Europa League. It, it may well be, as you mentioned with Chelsea, uh, um, that he plays kind of uh, a weaker team in the Europa League for the beginning. And then as we get deeper into competition, he swaps that over. Also an interesting point that um, Azerbaijan and Armenia don't seem to get on very well. So it may be the Mkhitaryan doesn't make the trip to Azerbaijan and may yet get a stay of execution in my team. But uh, the person to start with is, uh, is Aubameyang. Where's Harry, we said earlier? Uh, where's PEA is another good question. So he's joint fifth with Kane for attempts. It's a very slow start to the season. Uh, one goal less than Kane and only five of his 10 shots have been in the box. So half of his shots have been long ranges. Uh, comparing Kane and Alba is pretty fascinating. Um, Alba's XG is just 1.15 and four. It's been a pretty poor start to the season and Kane's actually doing better than him uh, in terms of a lot of the underlying stats, for example, goal involvement. Um I compared Alba again to his first four games in the Premier League uh, between game weeks 26 and 29. 
and uh, he had doubled the XG when he first came to the Premier League. This year, he's kind of making more passes, he's creating more chances and doesn't seem to be getting the service more than anything else. A nice little stat I found is that Oatsall has just created three chances between game weeks one and four. Uh, but between game weeks 26 and 29 last season, when Alba was having his first four games, created nine chances. Um, so it may be that he's just not getting the service. But it's pretty worrying times, though. He's uh, Despite his kind of outrageous conversion ratio that we've spoken about an awful lot, I think it's now exactly two, a goal every two games. Um, it's still pretty worrying that he doesn't seem to be involved or being found as much by the Arsenal midfield as, uh, as, as we'd otherwise like. Uh, what's your view on Aubameyang, Nick? Yeah, I think with Aubameyang, he's, he's, there's that Lacazette factor. Um, Lacazette um, in the last game played um, in the number nine position. Norber seemed to be shuttled out to the wing and, and is affecting his performance. I think playing alongside another sort of number nine means that he, he's playing less in that central role. And uh, I think one of the most sort of shocking numbers, I guess, is his penalty box touches. He's only actually managed eight penalty box touches uh, so far this season. So he's got having two a game, essentially, which is far lower than uh, pretty much every forward in in the game. I think if, if you were to rank him, he's, that's uh, the 29th highest out of all forwards, which is um, less than the likes of Shane Long and uh, Ian Acho and, uh, and Bobby Reid of Cardiff. So uh, oh, very it's, it's, it's a, I think that's a particularly concerning stat that I, I noticed in terms of Grammy Yang. Um, he's, he's managed 10 attempts, which is the same as Kane, but... You know, he's just—it's just not really uh, getting into the the right position. Seemingly, I think his chances must have been sort of from long range. If he's only actually managed eight eight touches in the box so far, um, I think he's he's very expensive as well. And he certainly—I'm uh, certainly not looking at him at the moment, despite the fixtures being quite reasonable. I think he, he's just—he's just too expensive for me to fit into my team and. Uh, and I'm, I'd be tempted to sell him as well if I owned him. But, um, you know, he's, uh, it, like you said, um, up next they've got Newcastle and then Everton, Watford, Fulham. You know, it's, it's a pretty decent run of fixtures in the league. And and he does have that, um, that he, is, he does have that sort of calibre and that reputation. And, you know, the, he is one of the top goal scoring uh, forwards in, in Europe over the last few seasons. So, yeah. Uh, I think it's a, it's a tough one with him. It's inevitable as soon as you sell him that he'll he'll score big and have have a worldly of a performance. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's worth noting that Lacazette has nine attempts, so one less than Aubameyang, despite playing just over half the minutes that Aubameyang has. So, yeah, pretty worrying. Also worrying as Mkhitaryan. Um, interestingly, he he matches the chance creation. Uh, that he did in Aubameyang's first four games last year. Uh, again, that was kind of the uh, game week 26-29 period. Um, he's had eight attempts so far. Uh, Mickey, he's level with uh, Madison and Lingard. And my other option for this week, Demarai Gray, if Walcott's injured. Uh, but the majority of these were all against uh, Chelsea and City. He didn't create anything against West Ham. He did a lot of assisting the assister. It's, it's a little bit interesting, really. Like, I was speaking to Tom Campbell, an FPL planner, um, on Twitter earlier on, and we mentioned the strongest lineup is probably like Torreira and Rambo in the uh, in the double pivot, and then Mickey, o- Ozil, and Alba. Uh, and uh, Lacazette up top. The thing is, is that uh, Emery is a four-three-three merchant, and it just seems like for whatever reason, Ozil was kind of playing in the wide creator role, drifting inside to let uh, Bellerin bomb on kind of behind him. And I, I don't know whether I'll be able to keep him, especially kind of for seven point one. I think is myself 
value at the moment. Uh, I don't think that's I don't think that that's value for money to have a player who costs a mid range who's not likely to play when there are others in the in the bracket that are. Um, I've just mentioned Ramsey just quickly. Uh, seven chances created, seven attempts down to seven point four. So an attempt every forty five minutes the last couple of games. He could potentially make an owner very happy soon. Um, but defensively, Nick, are you looking at um, Bellerin, who was one of the players you were talking about a little bit at the start of the season? I'm not um, particularly looking at um, the Arsenal defence or the Arsenal midfield at the moment. I think because um, I don't actually have any Arsenal coverage at the moment whilst you're currently doubled up. I don't necessarily think that I think probably doubling up is too many Arsenal players at the moment. I would be definitely tempted to sell at least one of Mkhitaryan or Aubameyang um, if you own both at the moment with the defence. Their Bellerin, um, like I said, was um, a player I was looking at, but there are better options in defence. I don't think I can fit Bellerin into my team alongside the likes of Alonso, Mendy um, and uh, Robertson. So he's not someone I'm particularly looking at. I also think that we will see with these fixtures um, that Emery will start to rotate those fullbacks. Um, they've got a very, very experienced um, fullback in Licksteiner, sort of waiting in the wings, hoping for minutes and... And I'm sure that he'll he'll start to see um, see some minutes soon. And it's the same with um, the left back as well, um, Monreal. Um, we'll probably see some rotation there as well. Um, but I think um, in terms of sort of central defence, Mustafi seems relatively nailed on. Um, he's already managed six goal attempts as well um, and scored a goal. He's played every minute of the season. I think he he would be a an option, but. Um, yeah, for now, um, I'm I'm avoiding Arsenal. I think the other person who's worth a quick mention is um, Bernd Lino, the new goalkeeper, um, who hasn't played yet because Petr Cech still, still seems to be favoured. But um, his uh, Cech's distribution in the last game was really poor. And um, Lino's now down to 4.8, so he could um, turn out to be a, a very cheap um way in um, as a goalkeeper for a top six um, side if, if he starts playing soon. Yeah, exactly. He's just looking so unsure of himself, Peter Cech. Like he's not going to turn to Allison overnight. It just seems like we've got a goalkeeper who can play Emery's passing out from the back season. Like at four point eight, Leno could be a great route into that defence once Cech gets burnt off. Um, so I guess on these two, then it maybe it's the inverse of the Champions League that maybe we'll see the the B team play and handle the Europa League and handle the League Cup. It's just who is in that B team and whether we can trust that the A team stays the A team, uh, if that makes any sense at all. So, you know, whether Lacazette will be playing in the uh, in the Premier League and maybe we'll see kind of likes of Mkhitaryan given the run out during the uh, the UEL or whether, um, you know, there, there's going to be some sort of system about it. But I, I just don't know. Uh, with Chelsea, hopefully we'll probably see the league being favoured a little bit. Um, I suspect we might see, as you mentioned, Willian playing in the... Uh, in the Europa League and the likes of Emerson playing in the Europa League. So hopefully the likes of Alonso and Hazard will be given the rest. Yeah, I think so. I think with Chelsea, it's a little bit clearer who the starting eleven is. Um, like with Aubameyang, I, his, his minutes um, so far are very similar to Aguero. So he, he does seem that first choice with Mkhitaryan. You, you would say that he would be part of the first choice eleven with for Arsenal, but he has has been rotated slightly so far this season and, and could be rotated further. So it is, he does represent a risk if you have him in your teams. 
yeah, I think he'll be he'll be going soon, but I might give him Newcastle. I'm not sure yet. Okay, yeah, let's take a break then. Next, and move on to our features. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and we're going to do our feature section now. It's our three uh, regular features that we do every week on the pod. Uh, the first one is Market Forces. This is our section where we use FPL NTI data to describe the movers and shakers in the transfer market. As always, Nick's been uh, scouting my numbers. Uh, what can you tell me about what's going on in the market this week? So the big um, mover and shaker, I guess, is in the third striker position or perhaps the second striker position for many of us this season. And that's because of uh, Wilfred Zaha's injury, which was sort of a a last minute announcement uh, prior to the kickoff, much uh, chagrin of uh, Zaha owners. He was uh, declared out um, and subsequently 225,000 people, over 225,000 managers have transferred him out so far uh, because he is a, he's a strong doubt for the next fixture. And uh, it looks like it's pretty much one person that has been drafted in um, who's, who's proving to be a popular pick, managers are saving 0.5 or possibly only 0.4 now by bringing in um, Alexander Mitrovic, who's had uh, over 210,000 net transfers in so far. Um, the Fulham man has four goals um, so far this season. He's the joint top scorer alongside Sadio Mane and has the goal threat to match it up with um, 18 goal attempts, only two less than um, the leading uh, striker for goal attempts, which is Aguero. And he's, he's played every single minute so far this season, which is he's the only forward to, to be able to claim to have done that so far. So he, he does look like a, a great pick at only 6.5. Yeah, exactly. He's definitely becoming very popular. Um, they've got Man City next. And I mentioned their defence earlier. Man City's been quite decent. Uh, for me, if I've got Edison and Mendy, I'm not going to be buying the Fulham striker. Uh, but I can see why people would be doing that. And um, Fulham, uh, we've spoken about a few times, don't really have that ama- an amazing kind of run. They kind of... Uh, have pockets of good fixtures, but but not like a concerted run where they avoid all the big boys. Uh, the nearest thing is maybe game week 17 and 20 when they've got West Ham, Newcastle, Wolves and Huddersfield in quick succession. Um, another one that's kind of worth mentioning as well in that third striker role, a little bit below. Oh, there's two actually. Uh, one is uh, Danny Ings, uh, who's been bought by 62,000 people. Um, worth mentioning if you are considering Danny Ings that he's ineligible to play game week six against Liverpool because he's on loan. Uh, so you'd only be buying him in for the Brighton game in game week five. And Callum Wilson of uh, missing six of seven big chances fame uh, has uh, 64,000 people have seen enough and bought him in, which actually isn't too bad a, too bad an idea, to be honest. Um, their next five are looking pretty damn good in terms of uh, points potential and uh, value for money. Leicester, Burnley, Crystal Palace, Watford, Southampton and Fulham. Uh, so, yeah, lots of uh, lots of movement in that third striker market, as you mentioned, as we all kind of look for the golden god uh, who's going to be uh, the mainstay in that spot for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think um, another one that's sort of lurking at the bottom of NTI is, is going to smash him up, Troy Deeney. Um, he's had <laughs> over 45,000 um, transfers in as well. He, he scored two goals. And um, Watford um, are a team on the ascendancy at the moment. And um, the most popular pick actually for Watford, though, is um, sort of one of their golden gods in, in defence, uh, Holobaz, um, who's uh, managed, um, he's, he's got 150,000 uh, net transfers in so far. He's now risen to to 4.8 uh, million. He was, he's on corners for Watford's. He's also on the uh, free kicks. He's managed to, to assist so far. Uh, Watford have been performing well above expectations so far. I think Holobaz has, has been quite key for that. But the fixtures do remain tough. They've got United and Arsenal uh, coming up. But I think uh, by game week nine, I'm going to start 
if they still seem like they're doing well, I'm definitely going to start investing in them because they've got a really tasty run of fixtures where they play Bournemouth, Wolves, Huddersfield, Newcastle and Southampton. So um, Holabaz, um, the other one that's sort of lurking on our NTI is uh, Pereira in midfield, who's also been doing very well. He's had over 97,000 uh, net transfers in after their victory against um, Spurs, despite um, not getting any returns in that particular match. Yeah, he seems to be in form, uh, Pereira, to some extent. Um, I, I, the person making way, it seems, for Holabas is Charlie Daniels, who's been sold on mass, 52,000 sales after Sergio Rico uh, start, uh, started the last game. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, people bringing in Pereira, and there's lots of movement still around that kind of uh, second or third midfielder position, I guess we can say. Uh, Mkhitaryan sold by sixty-eight thousand, Richarlison being sold by seventy-five thousand, and uh, Walcott um, has been sold by one hundred thirty thousand people already after that triple rise. He was the first um, player to triple rise this year, uh, which is a quiz question answer if ever I uh, ever I saw one. Uh, but yeah, yeah, quite a lot of movement around that area, and I was surprised to see that um, some people seem to have rage sold Walcott for the man that they could have brought in, Nick uh, Pedro. Yeah, Pedro um, has had over 140,000 net transfers in. We're seeing a lot of Chelsea boys again on the NTI. Alonso, we talked a lot about him earlier on the pods, had over 160,000 transfers in. Has has had over 145,000 net transfers in. And, and yeah, Pedro's had over 140,000 transfers in. So Chelsea um, really seem to be ascendancy, like like Watford on, on the NTI. Um, a lot of people also seem to be um, rage transferring out Walcott for Lucas Moura, who's had over 170,000 net transfers in already had a price rise this game week as well um so he's he's now up to 7.2 million in terms of uh, 7.3 million in terms of value um like i said spurs spurs have a, a tough fixture but before but after that their their fixtures really do look quite tasty so um, if he does well against liverpool um i'll expect his price to continue to explode and um people continue to bring him in yeah, exactly. And the final thing to bear in mind is that uh, Mo Salah, Mo Salah is seeing owners bail. Uh, 127,000 sales for Mo Salah so far. Um, and people look to be kind of swapping over to Mane, who's seen 130,000 buys in. And as you just mentioned, uh, Hazard is seeing some interest. Uh, that's an interesting one that Mo Salah has been bailed on by so many people. His ownership is still very, very high, as you spoke about last week that high ownership will probably insulate him from a drop. He's only at 5.4% minus on fans will fix at the moment. Uh, but some tough fixtures for Mo Salah. And if he doesn't return against Tottenham, I suspect we may see a bit of next of this, um, despite the fact that Southampton next, just because of the, nat- the lemmings nature of uh, early season uh, transfer market. Um, thanks, Nick. Uh, should we move on to the Zombie League? Yeah, um, let's move on to the Zombie League. This is where we check on the progress of our shambling zombies run by unspecified family members. This is our no chips, no transfers, no changes league. How did your zombies get on this week, Tom? Uh, they were actually OK. Um, I, I finally got the goal from Aubameyang. It was 39 points, so actually it was pretty poor. Uh, I got the goal from Aubameyang. Um, I got a clean sheet from Azpilicueta. I got a goal from Firmino. But I've got nothing else, Nick. My vice captain, uh, Pascal Gross, uh, missed a penalty. So, uh, yeah, I'm still continuing the tradition of having penalty misses in my teams. Um, Jota, uh, you know, got a clean sheet, but he's looking like a bit of a busted flush. Ericsson hasn't returned yet. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, Ben Mee, Pereira, Duffy and Edison all lost their clean sheets at the back. So quite, quite a difficult week for the Zombies. And I think I was expecting a lot more from Aubameyang, who was, uh, who was, who was the captain. I'm now in the Zombie League itself down to below the thousand mark, which is a, a bit scary <laughs> compared to how well some players seem to be doing. I'm 100 points down on the current chip leader um, in the Zombie League. How did your team do, Nick? Yeah, it sounds like we got punked there, Tom, because, uh, yeah, my, my zombie team didn't do particularly well either. We scored 36. Uh, so, yeah, not great. Uh, blanks all round, really, for most of the team. Um, Knockart came off the bench for the injured Michael Keane and got me a nice six-pointer, which is um, always a plus. And got an eight-pointer from David Luiz and, and an assist from Mendy. But, yeah, well, it wasn't great. Um, I'm, I'm 424th in the league, so not quite as bad as yourself, but... Uh, you know, uh, hopefully, hope have to hope for better things from the zombies. Uh, just looking at the mini league, uh, top at the moment is uh, Noah Mitchell with uh, Dedier Deschamps, which is also a great name. Now he only managed thirty-five points um, as well, so he's hanging on to that lead. He's got a few people very close on his tail. Um, we've got Gary Cocker's down when he's zombies is just one point behind. And uh, did I win? Mister uh, Doctor Mister scored fifty points. Uh, Gus Lang with zombie H one A. Um, scored 42 points they're both on 273 points so uh, you know um, I think the zombies are starting to slow down perhaps after an initial decent start for them yeah a shout out to uh, James and Sudge from Planet FPL uh, they are um, in the top 10 they're their 8th with uh, Planet FPL dead, dead 11 uh, 63 points this game week uh, no doubt due to the fact that uh, Wilfred Zahar and Goodmanson uh, both didn't play uh, meaning particularly uh, Cedric came off the bench of a 12-pointer, which is pretty damn good. Uh, they've they've captained Aguero. They've had Sadio Mane since the beginning. And uh, scarily, they've got Ozil, Eriksen and Arnautovic all sitting there waiting to fire once they get into form. Um, yeah, pr- a pretty good team there. And we could potentially see some sort of uh, entryist uh, other podcast doing well in one of our leagues. But well done, guys. A very, very, very good performance and a very, very strong-looking team there. Yeah, and they did an entertaining uh, podcast that's worth a listen where they uh, selected the team if, if you got some spare time. Cool. Um, let's move on to the All England 11, Nick. Actually, a little bit of a better performance uh, this week. This is our All England team uh, celebrating the uh, the Free Lions achievement back in the halcyon days of the World Cup. Remember that? Uh, we're running a team from start to finish with solely English players. And they busted the meta this week, Nick. They got a 53, uh, Ooh, which is uh, wow. nine points above the average. Uh, thanks in uh, no small part to uh, two City players getting 30 points. That is a uh, Carl Walker. Uh, who scored that thunderbolt uh, to win the game, and Raheem Sterling, who was captain due to the fact I had neurovirus and didn't get round, didn't get round to changing the team. Um, but yeah, uh, you know they had Sean Morrison uh, come away with uh, with an assist for four points. Uh, Jordan Pickford get some saves, and uh, James Madison get another FPL assist. And uh, luckily for them, uh, Charlie Austin was second bench uh, after missing that penalty. So yet another team that I'm involved with with a missed penalty this week, but luckily not in my main team. Uh, they're now sitting um, after that performance, just outside the top 2.5 million. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to make a few changes this week. I think now we've got the two free transfers and we lost one last week. Hopefully, you know, we're looking at the, maybe Jamie Vardy coming in, maybe Trippier at the back, something like that. 
Yeah, I thought maybe a differential pick if you want to really mix things up. We could throw James Milner into the the mix. Um, he's sitting at five point six million, so he's relatively affordable, and he's he's managed to uh, to assist in a goal so far as well. So he could be a an interesting pick, perhaps for the for the Zombies. Is is unfortunately he's not a defender this season, actually, like last season. Yeah, that was that would have been very good, wasn't it? But no, uh, yeah, maybe Milner, maybe he can come in and do a job for Sessegnon. Um, I don't know really. I mean, uh, Josh Kinn's got some good fixtures coming up. Uh, Deli Ali and Harry Kane can both kind of comfortably stay there all season, really. I think we the only one we're really missing is Jamie Vardy right now. So maybe we'll try to do some manoeuvring and move out Charlie Austin and somebody else to enable that in. Okay, let's take a break there, Nick, and we'll move on to the community section. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So it's, a, it's time to catch up as well. Who got the assist mini league? Uh, we can finally do a proper update this game week as well after sort of telling um, telling you, oh, we don't have a full update because the league's still updating. If you haven't joined the league um, yet, our league code is 516-441. And the top of the league um, is... Andrew Garland with the Garlanticos. Um, he's on 330 points. He scored 57 um, this game week. Um, he's, he's doing particularly well. Um, he's got Mane, of course, Mitrovic, Aguero, Pedro, um, Alonso, Robertson, Mendy. He's got, you know, the, the standard defence, uh, Salah and Mickey making up the team. So, yeah, um, great. A relatively decent score in a, in a low-scoring game week. But he's got a few people on his tail. It's all very tight at the top. Um just to say there's just three people um, sort of on 326 um, at the moment, four points behind him. We've got uh, Firkin Garhani with um, with no, um, he scored 72 points this game week, which is is pretty damn good. He actually yeah. played his wild card, um, brought in the likes of Hazard. He's also got uh, Lucas Moura and Mane and, um, you know, just the, quite the same defence we mentioned, alongside Trippier as well. So he's gone for um, quite a heavy four at the back. Um, he's got Wayne Hennessy in goal, and he, and he missed out on um, that Phil Billing uh, return because he's his third bench. Um, but yeah, very good game week for him. Uh, Ryan Brazel did pretty well as well. Brazilians they scored fifty five, and uh, Fernando Montenegro's um, Supersonic FC scored fifty seven points. So um, great, uh, great game week for all those guys, and in fifth place with seventy seven points, um, which is I think the top top score we can see actually um out of the top 20 or so um is ray hammer with taking the mickey ray did a had a good week he uh, had a joe hart uh, save a penalty um as uh, as furkan had a, a wayne hennessy saving a penalty um captain leeson has over 22 points uh, is a solarless team and playing it was playing five at the back like i was doing pretty well uh, well done guys in the top five Right. We move on to the questions then, Nick. Uh, thanks so much for your questions, guys. I had to uh, to run, so I only had half an hour to kind of ask ask questions for people, but we had so many. So thank you very much. I'm really sorry, as usual, if we don't get around to you today. Um, the first question is from FPLTT, who asks, who are the top targets in the budget keeper bracket? Okay, so... Um... I've at the moment got Rui Patricio as my goalkeeper. It was a bit of a slow start for Patricio. Um, he blanked the first few game weeks, unfortunately, but he's he's finally got his first clean sheet of the season against West Ham and a nice seven-point return. Um, they've got Burnley up home up next. Burnley has been performing pretty badly, so um, you'd like to hope for a clean sheet. And after that, they've got Manchester United away, which is a tougher fixture, but then they've got quite a nice run of fixtures with Southampton, Palace, Watford, Brighton. So I think at, at four point five he he's um 
definitely someone that you'd like to hope for um, some more points and more clean sheets for, and he's, he's very good value. Um, there's a few other options out there. I think you, you mentioned Hennessy a minute ago where we're going through the mini league. Crystal Palace's fixtures are still pretty decent. They've got Huddersfield up next, um, and then they've got Newcastle, and, and then they've got Bournemouth. But um, a lot of us already sort of are covering the Crystal Palace defence with Wamba Saka. So, um, it's not necessarily defence you'd want to, to cut double up in at the moment. I know you were talking about um, downgrading Edson, Tom. Who, who else have you been looking at then? Yeah, I mean, I think Patricio may be the, the top choice. Um, there are a couple kind of uh, a couple of players who obviously catch right every year. Fabianski, top of the saves. It's the same as saying Alonso's top of the shots for defenders. Uh, he's had 21 saves so far, Fabianski, and uh, has the the highest frequency of saves as well, a save every 17 minutes. Below him, Alex McCarthy for Southampton, a save every 18 minutes and 20 saves. And uh, four, only the four goals conceded by Southampton compared to the, uh, the 10 uh, for Fabianski. Uh, there's always Matt Ryan as well. So I've got um, Duffy in my team as a 90-minute man who's going to play throughout the Christmas period, hopefully. Um, but Brighton do have quite a good run of fixtures coming up, especially after game week eight, uh, where they only play Chelsea of the of the where they don't play any top six teams between game week eight and game week 16. So feasibly, we could see some clean sheets there, especially when they're at home against West Ham game week eight, Wolves in game week 10, Leicester and Crystal Palace in game weeks 13 and 15, respectively. Um, so maybe, you know, it, it's worth looking at. And I'm a little bit um, a little bit annoyed at Edison, really, even though he is top of the FFS watch list, for example, at the moment. He just, as we said earlier, seems to be a binary between getting two points and getting six and nothing in between. So I kind of want to free up that, that kind of one million and I think it would just be a case of who's looking nailed and who's looking like uh, like they're going to be top of the bunch but I think that you know Wolves's defence looks the most solid they were very unlucky uh, to consider the goals that they have done uh, looking at the data and uh, it's looking like it may be the Portuguese Patricio who comes in as a steady Eddie kind of choice and also covers uh, Ryan Bennett every now and again too. Yeah, great question. Uh, thanks very much, TT. Next one then, uh, quite a big one, and it's something that affects me more than it affects you. Uh, but Walcott and Mickey, uh, Bagan Boy asks, what do we do with these guys? Who comes out, if anyone? What are our plans with them? Yes, well, it does impact me as well, obviously, because I've got... Um... I've got Theo Walcott in my team. I do have, um, I have got 0.6 million currently in the bank, but unfortunately, because of price changes, it's it's not enough now to to swap um, Lucas Moura out. I think one option that we mentioned in in sort of the market forces is uh, Roberto Pereira. I think he he definitely um, started the season quite well. He's already got three goals, but he does have that tough fixture up next against Manchester United. And the other person that I'm looking at as well is, is Pedro. Um, obviously, they've got a decent fixture up next against um, Cardiff at home. And then they've got West Ham away. And uh, that'll be quite an easy straight swap for me to do it if Walcott is ruled out. At the moment with Walcott, I want to hold him. I'm hoping that he's declared fit for the next game because I, I fancy his chances against West Ham. Um, West Ham have been pretty poor defensively um, so far this season. And, uh, and uh, yeah, if, if Walcott's fit, I will play him. But um, I'm going to hold him for now. 
Yeah, I'm holding on to both of them, uh, Mickey and Walcott. Uh, Walcott also has Zell Club Arsenal uh, after West Ham, which I kind of, you know, you always keep an eye out for that sort of fixture. He's bound to do something in that, right? In the ideal world, I'll do nothing this game week. I'll roll it. Um, but if Walcott is ruled out, there's quite a few options. The the two that I'm considering the most are Jesse Lingard and uh, the MRI Gray. Uh, Jesse Lingard, we've mentioned the fixtures. For Leicester, um, a really amazing run of fixtures coming up now. They only play Arsenal of the top six teams between game week five and game week 15 um Demarai Gray has started every game 5.5 I mean people are saying James Madison but I mean he's again not uh, got an FPL assist not real assist so far and it looks like it's uh, between him and Gray for for a buy um I might as well have that one million to free up for the likes of Kane or for like something else and still play a, a still play a fairly kind of attacking player I think he's, he's had nine attempts so far uh, Demarai Gray. Uh, so, you know, he's he's definitely one that I'm looking at, but uh, ideally I keep hold of Mkhitaryan and keep hold of Walcott for now. Um, but there's just so many options in that kind of area that I'm not too worried, to be honest. Great. Um, the next question's about uh, Zaha, Radio Zaha. FPL Classicos asks, um, what do Zaha owners do now um, if he's ruled out for game week five? And I guess the, the market forces sort of answered that question to a certain extent with... Um, you know, all, all the noise and all the movement regarding Mitrovic. And we, and we spoke about the underlying data, but obviously um, they do have a tough fixture up next against Manchester City away from home. And uh, with the possession stats that Manchester City have shown and, and the lack of opportunities for their opponents, it could well be a blank for, for Mitrovic in the next game week. So uh, Zaha to Mitrovic um, is the most popular move at the moment, but um, whether that one holds any water... Um, with with the next fixture for Fulham, it's up to you. I mean, there are other other options out there. I've got Naltovic. He's always been pretty solid for West Ham. Um, he's scored a couple of goals so far this season as well, but their fixtures as well aren't looking too great. West Ham have Everton, Chelsea, United up next. So perhaps not the best pick. Um, you meant, We mentioned Wilson as well a minute ago. And of course, there's always... Um, there's always Danny Ings and Troy Deeney. <laughs> it's it's not, not too much of a selection really, is there? No, I think I'd be looking at Callum Wilson of those options. Um, obviously, keep an eye out and see what happens with with Zahar. Um, they just can't win a game without him, Palace. So he definitely will be kind of, you'd expect him to be kind of rushed back to contention. And then it's four games, Huddersfield, Newcastle, Bournemouth and Wolves. You've got to be kind of hoping he's there. But if he's not there, you're going to have to have to swap him on. It probably would be Wilson, the one that I'd be looking at the most. Um, next question then, Nick. Uh, it is a strong bench. Uh, so Joe Prenter, he's he's on his wild card, and he's asks, should we have a strong bench with Champions League and the fact that winter is coming? So we've spoken about the Champions League a little bit and the rotation uh, that potentially could be happening. And uh, winter obviously leads to us needing that squad more than we normally would. I've got Duffy at the moment sitting around uh, just basically to come on if needed. I do have Tom Kearney who unfortunately uh, rolled his ankle. Hopefully he'll be back, but he may be swapped out for uh, for Hoiberg or Billing or something like that eventually just to kind of sit on the bench as well. But I think having two benches is good enough and I, I've, I've never been the sort of player who has a benching headache week to week, like I always like, as you know, Nick, to have my um, all my value on the pitch and then have kind of two pointers, you know, Darren Fletcher's of old, coming off the bench if required. But it really is just just to have 
some points if that you do have a, a no show or something like that. Um, so maybe having two benches and then having kind of a one Bissaka Bennett character is, is worthwhile for me. I've got a camera, a 4.5. Probably I prefer success now if I was to do it again. But I'm still okay with having that kind of third striker as being a, just two benches enough for me. What about you? Yeah, I guess I'm pretty similar. I think our defend our bench are basically exactly the same at the moment. I've got um, Hamer on there who's injured. Um, I've got Camera. I've got Ken who's, who's injured as well, and I've got Wambasak at four point zero. I think um, as the fixtures do get uh, more congested, particularly around Christmas time, it is worth having uh, players on the bench that you can rely on to come off the bench and get you at least some form of return, perhaps. But yeah, like you said, the, the benching headache is something you try and avoid, and having a player that's um, you know too successful sitting on the bench is, is not something you really want to see. So having those 4.0 4.5 defenders that come can come on in, in in cases of emergency is always helpful to have or even a 4.5 million midfielder phil billing seems to be the most popular pick at the moment on the back of him scoring a goal and seeming like he's nailed on for huddersfield um is, is worth having within your team yeah it's, it's trying to find that kind of value that you pay the least amount for the most amount of points if required which is going to be two let's be fair um speaking of value uh, fpl waterloo asked us how much of an impact does team value have later on so a lot of people are currently looking at their team value and we published a piece by uh, fpl death star uh, last week on the team value and the fact it can be quite deceptive so he noted that he had an, a team value of over 101 uh, took all of his players out and actually only had the team sale value of 100.4 because a lot of his money was kind of spread around amongst players or something like that um, but team value, Nick, is it something that you keep an eye on at the moment? Like I noticed that your team has a has a fairly decent stock of it at the moment, doesn't it? Uh, you you seem to have kind of uh, played the market well. I don't know whether you've done that wittingly or not, uh, but you're sitting you're sitting at one hundred and one point four right now. Yeah, I have tried to play the market. I've I've taken a few gambles in terms of early transfers, and I think there are opportunities to do that at the beginning of the season when there's lesser midweek fixtures. As the midweek fixtures um, tend to get busier and you see more games, I, I try and avoid doing the early transfers. But like I said, when it when it's the week of a league cup or in the in the early early game weeks, I'm I'm not adverse to to making early transfers. And despite having been trolled heavily. By Everton players, I still managed to cash in a 0.1 um, rise on Richarlison, and I've picked up a triple rise from Walcott despite, um, like I said, a, a minus one return from the two of them. So um, that's, that's that's been the one brown bright spark of my transfer moves, um, revolving specifically around the Everton players. And uh, yeah, it's definitely something I do try and monitor because having that extra money in the bank, it can be critical. And there will come a time when you're trying to make a transfer and there's a player you desperately want and you're just 0.1 short and, and you're, you're screaming at the, you know, the computer thinking, oh, you know, if only I'd made a, a few more, took a few more risks or made a few more early transfers. But yeah, you have to weigh it up and not get too engrossed with the team value. Like I said, don't just try and avoid bringing in a player before those Champions League and Europa League fixtures because it, it's inevitable if you take too many risks, you will get caught out at some point. 
Yeah, it's risk versus reward, isn't it? Um, that, that's what I said to a lot of people. Like, we are quite price led, I think, especially on social media, because people are saying, "Oh, this guy's rising, this guy's rising," and then you get that 0.1 alarm going off in your head that maybe in the future it will it will negatively impact me. You know, the second uh, the second wild card is always what people are thinking about, and the, the ability to get in um, a hazard instead of having to compromise on Willian is definitely something that. Um, you know, can be a factor. Uh, obviously, we've got no idea yet how that's going to fall out, who's going to be informed then, what this big story is going to be. We could have a year, you know, like Leicester when in 2015-16 when it wasn't a difficult wild card at all towards the end because we could fit everyone in because Vardy and Mares were doing the job of a 10-plus million asset for seven, for six, seven or eight. Um, however, it's always quite decent, I think, to have a, a, a vague eye on team value. I mean, I had a wild card early, so it's a little bit different for me. I've got 101.9 at the moment, but I think that's more kind of by circumstance, uh, by the fact I've wild carded rather than actually kind of playing the market too much. I've actually only made one transfer, apparently, which was uh, Richarlison for Walcott. Um, so I do look at team value. Um, I am interested in it, but now, especially with uh, lots of midweek fixtures kicking in, with the international break, I'm not going to be chasing value that much anymore. I think 101.9 is pretty decent to come out of the first three game weeks with um if i haven't got your points but at least i've got some money <laughs> so uh hopefully i can use that in the future to have an advantage over managers so for example being able to afford slightly better players than they will with the uh, with their team values uh but yeah very interesting question and one which will invariably rumble on throughout the course of the season yeah for sure definitely uh it's something to monitor over the course of the season um final question i guess um it moves us on nicely to sort of our transfers and captains is 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 the capo question that's from fpl pasties us couldn't has or Mo for the armband? Well, um, I think that there's only one answer to that. <laughs> it's Conaguero, isn't it? He's having a lovely break over the internationals. Uh, he's not playing for Argentina. So he's going to be chilling out uh, in Manchester, chilling out on Canal Street with, with a cocktail. And uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to, I, I think that he's probably, for that Fulham game, uh, the one who I'm going to be backing. Uh, Fulham are also uh, fur from bottom for chances conceded uh, on target. And they've also conceded uh, 12 big chances this season, which is their bottom for big chances conceded, which is uh, quite ominous for, for non-Aguero owners, really. And uh, there's a few kind of outside calls for Alonso as well, Nick, uh, against Cardiff too. Any of those caught your eye or are you with me and just kind of in the captain couldn't? I have it on Sergio at the moment, but um, yeah, I mean, if you do own Hazard, it's a risk. I mean, he, you're just asking to pay that troll toll. I think if, if you end up captaining him, just 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 from past experience, personally, I mean, not everyone perhaps has had the same experiences with Hazard as I have over the last four or so seasons, but um he, he's just one of those players i like to describe as being very mercurial he, he'll show up or he'll have an amazing performance um, he'll get all the plaudits um from all the pundits and the commentators um he'll be declared man of the match but he'll, he'll go away with only three fpl points and, and we've seen that many a time from hazard um alonso sounds like a very interesting pick actually um i can understand the appeal of him obviously he's uh lowest he's managed so far is nine points all season so you know you could easily see another big return from a um playing a team like cardiff because surely they're not Surely they're going to keep a clean sheet against Cardiff and Alonso could easily get another attacking return. So perhaps, um, you know, that is a, a real differential option. Perhaps I could even be tempted to, to switch to him if I, I really fancy I taking a risk. But 
I can't see you doing that. <laughs> I can't see that. No, in the million, maybe, million I do, maybe I do just to, to spite you, Dan. But yeah, yeah I think um, yeah. So, so yeah, I have it on Sergio at the moment anyway um, as my captain pick. Cool. Any changes this week? Uh, do, are you waiting for the international break? I'm guessing, but anything kind of in, in, in mind? Yeah, I am waiting for the international break. I mean, it depends on Walcott. I'm waiting for some news on him. If he's declared out, then I'll, I'll perhaps switch him up. So likes of Pedro. Um, I did mention earlier about perhaps drafting in Luke Shaw, but because um, I've currently got Van Anhalt, but he has had us field away. So I'm hoping that that sort of differential pick pays off and PVA finally does some bits for my team. But um, <laughs> yeah, for the moment, um, I haven't got any transfers planned. No, me neither. I'd love to roll it. It's, it's, it's never, I mean, Walcott, uh, Richarlison put paid to my plans of rolling uh, last week. Uh, but I do really want to roll it. It's just a shame it's over international break, so I've got to hold my knee, uh, stop myself knee-jerking somebody out. If Walcott is ruled out, then I'll move him on to either Gray or Lingard or maybe somebody else that I decide that I like. Gazal, anyone? Anyway, uh, there's a theme every week on the pod. Last week it was, of course, Queen uh, with uh, fantasy football analyst Nick and uh, James Harding uh, got there first. This week's theme, uh, a little bit a little bit more muted, but hopefully some of you will be able to find it. Just to reiterate who we are as well, we are Who Got The Assist. You can find us online at whogotthisassist.com and on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL. Yep, and if you want to join our league, our league code is 516-441, which is for our main league because our zombie league is uh, now closed. Um, And we'll see you in game week five. Yep, enjoy the international break. We hope this is this year of the next few weeks in terms of the top six specifics. Speak then. Bye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.